Life Audio. Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. Take a minute to visit rachelcarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Good day to all of you. We are picking up in Mark chapter 2 today for our summer study, and I'm so glad you've joined us. Get your pen and pencil ready, your Bible study guide that's over at rachelcarmen.com, and I'll be right back. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay. More than any other thing that I want you to have open during our time together, insofar as that's possible, obviously, if you were commuting or running errands, you're not going to be able to have your Bible open. But if you have a chance to sit down and listen to this, maybe in some quiet moment while kids are napping, you might want to have your Bible open so that you can look through as we're reading. Remember, we're studying the book of Mark in light of the fact that before this, we did a five-part series on the life of the Apostle Peter. And you'll remember he is one of my most favorite characters in the whole Bible because his story arc 
I think all of us can find our ourselves in that somewhere, right? We're curious about who God is, who Jesus is, and so we're really excited to follow him. And then we think we've got it all figured out. We get cocky, right? And we get to this place where we think we know it all and we look down at other people. Really, really dangerous place. And then often we get to a place where we just are confused. Life comes at us hard and fast. Circumstances present themselves that is not how we wish it was or how we think it should be. And then we're just super confused. I mean, we thought it was all about following Jesus. We thought that if we followed him, things would be great and go great all the time. And so we enter this stage of confusion, which is a really pivotal place for us to be. And then... And then if we persevere through that confusion, if we continue to seek him, he changes us. The circumstances change us and we become more transformed into the image of God's son, Christ, which engenders confidence in us, not a cocky confidence, not the the cockiness that we had previously, right? This is a confidence in who he is. It's a humility in who he is. And it's our ability to put him forward and not ourselves forward. So again, the five points, the progression of Peter through his life is curious, cocky, confused, changed, and confident. So if you missed that study, you might want to go back and pick that up because that's why we started the study of the book of Mark, which may not immediately, for those of you who've been playing along, you'll catch that, does not immediately become obvious because the Gospel of Mark's title is the Gospel of Mark. But what we learned is Mark is Peter's scribe. So the Gospel of Mark has Peter as its source of the story of the narrative. And we see that throughout the Gospel of Mark. We see Peter because there's this word immediately 42 times throughout the Gospel of Mark, because that's who Peter was. He was very passionate, and so we have this immediately, immediately, immediately. We have this in this emphasis throughout the Gospel of Jesus on the move. He's doing things. He's the action-oriented servant of God. That's who we see Jesus in this Gospel. And so we already did chapter 1. I'm picking up today in chapter 2. And as we go along, I'm going to be guilty on more than one occasion of saying this is one of my favorite passages, right? Because there's so many great passages in the gospel of Mark. And so we're going to pick up right there and we're going to try to continue those threads that we've already talked about. We're going to talk about immediately. We're going to look at who's where as the story goes along. We're going to look at how people respond. We're going to look for purpose statements that Jesus Christ made about why he's here and what the purpose of his action is all about. And so we're going to pick up here in chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, and I'm reading from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. That's the translation that I, that's my go-to. So it may read a little different depending on what translation you're using. But picking up in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it said, When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. 
So one of the things that we need to make sure we're paying attention to is Jesus arrives on the scene and starts teaching and starts doing these miracles, and it immediately gets people's attention. People are paying attention. Nothing like this has happened in quite a bit of time. And word gets out. This is different. He's speaking in a different way. He's speaking about things in a different way. He's doing signs and wonders and miracles that none of us can We can't say that they're not actually happening. And yet, if you're anything like me, I would be slow to take somebody else's word for it, right? Even a really good friend, if they came, if you want to just imagine yourself, if you had a really good friend that came, and if we look back, if if the baptism of Jesus and we last time in our study, and then we have him already healing the crowds in chapter one. If I had really good friends that had been there in chapter one and came and said, Oh, Rachel, you're not going to believe what that happened. This guy did this. I, I'm more likely to go, uh, maybe, you know, I mean, and my friend would say, come on, you can believe me. We've been friends forever. And I would be like, uh, I want to see it for myself. And I think that's what we see here in chapter two. We've got a lot of people who've come to see it for themselves. They want to know, is this really what's going on? Is this really what's happening? And so Jesus isn't, and I think this is notable, in chapter two, it says that many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. So he's teaching these people. They've gathered and he's teaching them. And in verse three, it says, and they came. I got to tell you, this story that we're about to unpack here is just absolutely glorious. It, I mean, it's just beautiful. So they came. Who are they? It says, bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. So I want you to get a picture for this. Jesus is in a house. He's teaching. It is standing room only. I mean, it is packed in. And we know subsequently, not yet, but we know in just a few more verses down that there are actually scribes present. So already, not only has Jesus attracted the attention of the masses, of the crowds, of the common man, but also some of the religious leaders. Now, the scribes were those who wrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote the Old Testament. So the scribes were the ones, they knew the Bible. They knew Torah. That's what they wrote over and over and over and over, right? For the reference, for the for the people, for the rabbis, all of that. that. These are the guys that knew. They knew scripture, okay? And it Jesus' teaching has already roused their interest. Who is this guy? Because the people are listening to them. Now, on the one hand, this is a good thing because the scribes felt protective of the truth of God's word. They knew it, and they wanted to know Who is this guy that all of the people are listening to? So they've come themselves to listen to Jesus. So they're present in this crowd, okay? And you've got Jesus, and then you've got these four guys, I'm I'm going to assume that they're friends, who are bringing a man who's paralyzed. So they come to bring the paralytic to Jesus. And we don't have any of their names, So again, I think it is a fascinating thing in scripture when we don't, 
we're not given somebody's actual name. Because what I think that is an opportunity to do is to insert your name. What if you were the paralytic on the pallet? Because your perspective of this situation that we're about to unfold is is pretty significant. Different from one of the four guys that's carrying you. Different from one of the people sitting in the room. Different from the scribes, right? So there's all these different perspectives, all these different positions that I would dare you to consider what it would have been like to be all of these different people in this circumstance. Because dramatically different perspectives, okay? So they come and they bring this man and it seems obvious to me that they're bringing him so that he would be healed. So that's a huge amount of faith. They're thinking if we can just get him to Jesus, if we can just get this guy to Jesus, it's going to make all the difference. But get this, they don't just come half-heartedly. These guys are all in. These guys are determined. Because it says in verse 5, let's see, in verse 4, it says, being unable to get to Jesus because of the crowd, <laughs> they, they went to the roof. So I'm just thinking, if you arrive somewhere and you really felt like you had to get to a person and you couldn't because it was so crowded. Would you go to the roof and start disassembling the roof? That's what these guys did. These guys' faith was in action. They really believed that getting their friend to Jesus was what they had to do. What they had to do. Stay tuned and we'll pick up there when I come back. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Okay, so again, in verse 4, it says, They removed the roof above Jesus. So again, imagine that you're in this room and Jesus is teaching and parts of the ceiling start falling. And you're just like, what's going on? And maybe you can hear feet shuffling on the roof. And I'm just going to ask you, at what point when the ceiling is being taken apart and dust is falling over you and in your hair and on your clothes, at what point do you feel like it may be unsafe to stay in the room where the roof is being taken apart, right? And so there's no indication that Jesus stops teaching. So he continues to teach. And here's the deal. Jesus knows what's going on. He knows. Maybe he saw them at the back of the crowd trying to get in. He could have anticipated their coming, right? 
He's Jesus. So they're trying to get in and they tried to get in that door and he can see their efforts and tried to get in that door and can see their efforts and maybe outside the window and he can see that they can't get in and he knew they weren't going to be able to get in. And I just want to ask you, what would you do to get to Jesus? And what would you do to get your friend to Jesus? Would you merely turn away and go out, you know, just didn't work out. This wasn't meant to be because that's not what these friends did. These friends knew that it was important to get their friend to Jesus. So they go to the roof. They're disassembling the roof tiles, right? The, the debris has to be falling on the people and on Jesus. And I'm just wondering, did he pause and did he smile? Because he knew, he knew what was going to happen. So then there comes a point when, you know, there's light shining down now through this hole in the ceiling, which, by the way, had to be sizable because they're going to lower a man down through the roof. Now, again, I would challenge you to consider, how would you like to be lowered on a mat down through a roof? So not only do we see the apparent faith of these four men who were so determined to and resolve to lower their friend, to get their friend to Jesus, that they dug a hole in a roof and began to lower him down. But I'm going to tell you, that man on that pallet had to have a lot of faith in those four too. Because he could have fallen, but he trusted them not only to take him to Jesus, but to lower him through a roof. And what must it have been like? What must it have been like to be the four lowering him down? It was one thing to carry him and bring him. That was one thing. But now you're trying to lower him down through a roof, right? And their perspective standing on the roof, right? And looking down into the room and seeing Jesus and seeing maybe the scribes and seeing all of the people with all this confusion on their faces and perhaps the smile of Jesus welcoming them, amazed and marveling at their faith and their persistence, right? And so they lower their friend down into the feet of Jesus. It says in verse 5, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying, and Jesus, seeing their faith. See, Jesus saw their faith in what they had done, not just, they, they brought him. They tried to get in. They didn't give up. They didn't give up. They took the roof apart and they lowered him down. And I can just imagine being, I mean, they were a hot, sweaty mess on the roof, right? There's a pile of tiles behind them. They're all trying to figure out, you know, we're going to have to pay somebody to fix this, right? They're, they are so determined. And the paralytic is just sitting there alone in front of Jesus. I mean, he came with his friends, but now his friends are on the roof. And here he sits alone in front of Jesus. And it simply says, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Jesus' response to this. They, you need to note that the four men and the paralytic, we don't have anything in Scripture saying that they requested anything or said anything. They just did something. They just did something. 
And Jesus saw their action for what it was, this beautiful display, this glorious evidence of faith, of faith. Son, your sins are forgiven. But here's the deal. In verse 6, we have that pivotal conjunction, but some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. So they're not saying anything out loud. They're just thinking. So here's another indication of that prophet, priest, and king, those three roles that Jesus fulfills in his life here on the planet, prophet, priest, and king. And we see some of the prophet here. We see evidence of him being the son of God because they're reasoning in their hearts. They're not saying the following out loud, but he knows what they're thinking. And that ought to give you an I pause. All too often, we think as long as we don't say it out loud, no one's the wiser. But God is. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we're thinking in our hearts. He knows our hearts. Jesus, I mean, the scribes are saying to themselves, why does this man speak that way? In other words, why is Jesus talking about forgiving someone's sins? He's blaspheming, they said. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And you and I know that's the point. Jesus saying to this man, your sins are forgiven, is a declaration of who he is as the son of God. That's exactly the point. And they get it. They know themselves that only God can forgive sin. And yet their conclusion is not that Jesus is God's son, but that Jesus is a blasphemer. That's their conclusion. Picking up an eight, we have our immediately verse. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why? Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But, second one, but so that you may know, so that you may know. So here again, and we're going to have this throughout this gospel narrative, there are going to be these statements so that, so that we had one last time, Jesus said up in verse chapter one, verse, uh, let's see, 38, Jesus says, this is why I came, right? It's a purpose statement. And here we have another one here in verse 10. Let's see if that's right. Yes. In verse 10, it says, so that you may know. In other words, Jesus is saying the point of this moment right here, right now is so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is so that you know. You're exactly right, he's saying to the scribes. Only God can forgive sins. And I and the Father am one. I am God's Son. And by virtue of the fact that I am God's Son, I have authority to forgive sins. And Jesus is saying, and I want you to know that. I want you to know that. See, those scribes in the sovereign plan of God were there on that day so that they could know. 
so that they could know. They had the proverbial front row seat, an opportunity to, without any question, know who Jesus was. This was their moment of belief. Would they dare to lean in belief or were they going to dare to lean into doubt? This is their moment. This is their moment. Jesus makes it clear. He answers their thoughts. I mean, it's a one-two punch, right? I know what you're thinking, he essentially says. And then he says, this is so that you will know. Picking up then at the second half of verse 10, he says to the paralytic, Jesus says to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go. So as though it weren't enough that Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. So he heals him spiritually, right? Your sins are forgiven. Only God can do that. But then secondly, he heals him physically. Get up. Pick up your pallet and go. Wow. Wow. Go home, he says. And the paralytic got up and immediately, again, picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone. I mean, this was a deal. It's a packed house, literally, in front of a packed house. Do you get what they just saw? They just saw the faith of these men coming, lowering their friend. And in my imagination, this is not here. I'm just imagining that when they first lower him, the guys on the top of the roof are just a hot, sweaty mess. They have just worked hard to take this roof apart and then still keep it stable enough that they can stand up there and lower their friend. So they're up there wiping off their brow as they finally get their friend to the feet of Jesus, right? And at the point that all of this exchange goes on, are they just like crying? Are they just overwhelmed with gratitude? Do they, do they run down off the roof to go meet their friend that's now walking? Do they walk home with them? I mean, this is a glorious moment of celebration. He got up and immediately picked up his pallet and went out in the sight of everyone. So that, there's your phrase again, all were amazed and were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like that. Wow. And Jesus went out again by the seashore and all the people were coming to him and he was teaching them. This is an amazing moment. And I just want to ask you, who are you bringing to Jesus? Who do you believe that if you can just get him to Jesus, it's going to make all the difference? And when, in fact, someone comes that you or I have judged as unworthy, that you and I have determined they have done the unforgivable, and yet... They receive forgiveness such that in our hearts, we are judging and critical. We need to remember that God knows our hearts. He alone can forgive sin. Any sin, all sin was taken to the cross of Calvary. Jesus died to pay for all the sin of the world. And we need to be those who are amazed and glorifying God when people's spiritual healing 
comes because of the forgiveness of sin available to all of us. Picking up in 14, we see Jesus again passing by, it says. He saw Levi, or Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, follow me. And it says Matthew got up and followed him. There had to have been something. This is the third time we've read about it in Mark. There has to be something about Jesus. That when he looks at somebody and locks eyes with somebody and says, follow me, they're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Because we see fishermen dropping their nets, leaving their father in the boat. Now we see a tax collector leading, leaving his tax booth and just taking off after Jesus. And this same invitation that he gave to the fishermen and now to a tax collector, he extends to all people everywhere. Follow me, he says. Follow me. Would you dare today to follow Jesus wherever he would lead, wherever he would take you? Picking up in 15, it says, and it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, Matthew, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Ooh, yeah, you read that right. You heard that right. It says that Jesus was relaxing with tax collectors and sinners. So you need to know that in the Jewish community, there was like no one lower than the tax collectors because these were Jewish people who had gone against Jewish people to collect taxes on behalf of the Roman government. I mean, they were, they were terrible people in the view of the common man. Because they were going against their own people. They were betraying their own people and taking their money. Because not only did they take what Rome demanded, they took some for themselves. So they were getting wealthy off the backs of their own countrymen. And and they were working for the oppressive enemy. So it was a one-two punch. And here's Jesus reclining with tax collectors. And if that's not bad enough, sinners. And so were his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. So here we have our friends, the scribes, again. It says, when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to the disciples, okay, so they graduated from just thinking about something. Now they're talking to Jesus's disciples. So they're not yet talking to Jesus himself, right? But they're, they're now talking to his disciples. And they said, why is Jesus eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. In other words, what is he doing? Why is he hanging out with those people? Why is he doing that? If he's going to hang out with anybody, he should be hanging out with us. The religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. We're the religious leaders. If he is going to come and preach and teach, then he needs to be hanging out with us. And of course, you and I know the truth. They didn't want him to hang out with them either. So they're asking the disciples, what is going on? And hearing this, okay, so they didn't ask Jesus. They asked Jesus' disciples, but Jesus heard what they were asking. And he responds this way. It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, but sinners hope you caught it. That's another one of Jesus's purpose statements. Why did he come? To call the sinners. He came for those that needed him. That's why he came. 
He came for the tax collectors and the sinners to point them to God. That's why he came. In 18, it says John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and they said to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus says, look, I'm the bridegroom. And the bridegroom is here. I'm not here for very long, but while I'm here, we're not fasting, but I'm not going to be here forever. I'm only going to be here for a period of time. And when I'm not here anymore, then they will fast. In other words, Jesus is saying there's a time for fasting and a time for not fasting. This is the time for not fasting. So he answers their questions. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So Jesus answers their question. But as we're going to see, it doesn't satisfy them. They were just wanting to accuse him. They weren't wanting answers to their questions. I hope that God is blessing you through this study. Go over to rachelcarmen.com, download that study guide for chapter two, dare to dig in and dive in. Again, I'm wanting to do this Bible study doable. I'm wanting to do this based on a close reading of scripture. There's so many other things that we could chase. If you've got a cross-reference Bible, you've got all of those cross-references. You can go and study these stories that we're looking at in Matthew and in Luke. You can also look at different passages in the Old and the New Testament that fortify these teachings of Christ. And I just pray that your soul will be enriched as you seek and know God better and better. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. Hi, friend. Are you stressed, maybe even worried about so many needs around you that you've forgotten you are worth taking care of, too? Well, I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stressless Podcast. I want to invite you to join me as I share practical tips based on science, inspired by God's Word, to help you spark joy and restore God's peace and love to your soul. Subscribe now and go to lifeaudio.com.